The opinions expressed in the following episode do not necessarily reflect those of the Minds of Madness podcast. Listener discretion is advised. September in Canada marks one of the last months of the year to get out and enjoy the great outdoors before packing it in for the season. In 2017, one fisherman in Oshawa, Ontario was out on the pier when he noticed something floating in the water. What he and another fisherman managed to catch in his net would be a visual that would forever be seared in his mind. Not a prized salmon, but something far more sinister, evidence of murder. Join me now as we take a look into the disappearance of two Ontario teens who had one thing in common, crossing paths with a basement-dwelling deviant who'd escaped detection for years until an accidental discovery brought his gruesome crimes to the surface. On September 11, 2017, people were lined up and down the Oshawa Pier, hoping to reel in a catch during the peak of the annual salmon run. The time of year when salmon leave the chilly depths of Lake Ontario and journey upstream to spawn in the riverbeds. It was here, in the early evening, when two fishermen spotted something drifting in the water. At first glance, it looked like a piece of trash floating on the surface. So one of them began casting his line, trying to snag it out of the water before the current pulled it farther away. After a few attempts, he managed to hook the object and bring it closer. But as he reeled it in, he became increasingly confused by what he was looking at. His first thought was that he just caught a turkey carcass that someone for some strange reason had tossed into the lake. Curious to see what he caught, onlookers began gathering around. But once they got the catch in close enough to scoop it into a net, the whole group reeled back in horror. They just dragged in a human torso. Police were soon alerted and sent a team down to the pier, including a coroner who determined the torso was from a female, showing obvious signs of trauma. But in order to learn anything else about the victim, a full and proper post-mortem was needed. Police hoped a pathologist could reveal crucial details, like the victim's age, weight, and possibly the cause of death. But there was one question, looming larger than any other. Who was she? Identifying a body with so little to go on can be a serious challenge for police especially when the body's been submerged in water for an undetermined period of time. In cases like this, one of the first things investigators do 
is look for possible matches among missing persons reports, first within their own department and then extending out to neighboring regions and beyond. When a potential match to the victim's general profile is identified, family members are brought in for DNA cheek swabs. Forensics then analyze the sample and determine if there's a conclusive match. In the case of the female torso found in the Oshawa Harbor, there was one missing person who fit the profile, an 18-year-old who disappeared less than two weeks before. Her name was Rory Hache, and in November, a DNA match came back positive. It was her. The last time anyone saw Rory was on August 30th, 2017, when a security camera captured her making a visit to the ER. The triage nurse reported that Rory was acting unusual and suspected she was there hoping to score some prescription drugs. Whatever the real reason she was there, Rory left before getting the chance to see a doctor and vanished out onto the Oshawa streets. With a population of about 175,000 people, Oshawa's reputation as a city isn't exactly the best. Locals call it the Dirty Schwa, sometimes affectionately, sometimes not. The nickname comes from the city's industrial past, dating back to the 1800s, to the time where regulations on pollution didn't exist, when the factories, tanneries, and mills pumped out their waste with impunity. Today, you can still see the scars of that hard-living past, but modern Oshawa has come a long way since then. It's a place with more diversity now, with scenic creekside bike paths and a beautiful sandy beach on the shores of Lake Ontario. It's actually a city that cleans up pretty nicely. And if you've ever seen an X-Men movie or the Adam Sandler comedy Billy Madison, you might be surprised to learn that the fancy mansion in those films is actually in Oshawa. But like any city, Oshawa has a dark side, and Rory Hache had stumbled right into it. Rory stood a slim 5'4", and often wore dark eyeliner, giving her a passing resemblance to Canadian pop star Avril Lavigne. And if you look closely behind her ear, you'd spot a small tattoo with the word alive inked in. Rory was known for her kindness, as well as her toughness, often standing up to bullies, despite her smaller size. And at 13, she joined the Army Cadets and was named Cadet of the Year by her regiment. But the military wasn't what Rory had in mind for her future. Instead, she had her heart set on becoming a veterinarian one day. Unfortunately, as Rory entered high school, her life took a turn when she encountered crystal meth, kicking off some very turbulent teenage years. And the more Rory experimented with hard drugs, the more her once outgoing personality became withdrawn. Eventually, Rory's own mother contacted the Children's Aid Society, hoping that a drastic intervention might help get her daughter's life back on track. But it wasn't enough, and Rory's troubles continued. Rory wasn't able to shake her growing addiction, causing another problem. She needed money to manage it. In August 2017, 
When Rory was 18, a police officer who'd been trying to help her found Rory standing on the corner of the sidewalk. She'd opened up to the officer, admitting she'd been using drugs, and given the kind of lifestyle Rory had fallen into, she now found herself with another problem. Housing. When Rory wasn't downtown at the refuge, Rory sometimes stayed with her uncle and his family. But the last time Rory's uncle saw her was in late August. They never got the chance to talk about the struggles she'd been having. She seemed nervous and reluctant to talk about much. Instead, she wrapped her arms around him in a giant hug. At the time, he chalked it up to the fact that he'd just given Rory and her mother $1,000 to help cover expenses, along with some new clothes and shoes. But later, he wondered if the hug was some kind of goodbye or sign that Rory was in some sort of deeper trouble, or maybe her mind had just simply been preoccupied because she'd just discovered she was pregnant. According to her mother, Rory had a steady boyfriend and the couple planned on keeping the baby. Sadly, they'd never get that chance. When Rory disappeared at the end of August, her family did everything they could to find her, scouring the city, posting flyers, and following up on any leads, no matter how slim. In the end, they turned up nothing more than gossip and rumors, not even a solid shred of evidence to work with. It wasn't until November, when the results of the DNA tests on the torso came back, that the family finally learned what had happened to Rory. During her post-mortem, the pathologist was able to conclusively determine that Rory's body had been intentionally dismembered. The news undoubtedly sent shockwaves through Rory's family and loved ones. The thought of such a violent and traumatic act being committed against someone they deeply loved is difficult to fathom. The emotional toll immeasurable the trauma of processing the loss of a loved one would have been overwhelming enough, but the added horror of intentional dismemberment, it's just incomprehensible. But who was responsible for such an abhorrent act? The truth was, it could have been anyone. Then, on December 29th, investigators caught a break. Someone was having problems with their plumbing. There's never really a convenient time to have plumbing problems, but any Canadian knows having them during a cold snap in Ontario has to be one of the worst. In 2017, following the Christmas holiday season, temperatures in Oshawa plummeted to negative 18 degrees Celsius or below zero Fahrenheit. The kind of bone-chilling weather that has you bundling up layers upon layers. In a house on McMillan Drive, about a 10-minute drive from the Oshawa Pier, residents were experiencing some serious plumbing issues. And with the heaters cranked up and the windows sealed tight against the bitter cold, things were getting pretty ripe inside the house. The house itself was divided into multiple apartment units, and on December 29th, the main floor residents decided they'd had enough and called in a plumber. But when the plumbers arrived, they learned that the problems hadn't actually started on the main floor. Instead, they'd begun downstairs in the basement suite. 
the home of 47-year-old gas station attendant Adam Strong. Adam Strong was a heavyset, greasy-looking guy who didn't appear to put a lot of thought into his appearance. But it wasn't his unkept looks that made him an undesirable tenant. It was the fact that he took care of his apartment even worse than his appearance. His apartment was like the Bermuda Triangle. Things went in, but never came out. Ashtrays piled high with cigarette butts, an aquarium filled with trash, greasy food containers everywhere, and outdated electronics. Quite possibly the only tidying Adam had ever done was kicking aside the clutter to make a narrow walkway through it. Earlier in 2017, Adam's landlord did a walkthrough of his apartment, and when she saw the appalling conditions, she recorded a video to document the complete mess he'd made of it. Watching the video is a sight that's hard to describe. The place was beyond disgusting and completely trashed. The scene was so overwhelming that at one point in the video, the landlord began weeping hysterically, brought to tears by the absolute filth. In his free time, Adam indulged in sexual bondage and posted about his fetishes on Facebook, writing in one post, why is it so hard to find a woman who is honest, loyal, trusting and willing to accept the sexual freak that I am? In another, he shared a dimly lit photo of handcuffs next to a padlock and a dog collar, captioned, home is where my handcuffs hang. It's crucial to highlight that Adam's sexual activities were non-consensual. He had a habit of choking his sexual partners with his hands or belt, to the point where one woman said she was forced to wear a turtleneck to hide the bruises after one of Adam's sessions. The family upstairs above Adam had no clue what kind of person they were dealing with and always tried to be friendly with them. In fact, just a few days before the plumbers were called, they'd even brought him a plate of cookies on Christmas Eve to celebrate the holidays. But on Christmas Day, he went to their door this time but not to return the favor bearing gifts. Instead, he asked if he could borrow a plumber snake. The neighbor was so accommodating, he actually offered to snake the drain himself, but Adam refused. He told them his toilet was backing up because he'd flushed a condom and insisted he should deal with it himself. Not long after, the family noticed their own drains backing up and the foul smell burbling up from the basement. When it became clear Adam hadn't fixed the problem, the neighbors decided to take matters into their own hands and called in a team of professionals. On December 29th, two plumbers showed up at Adam's door and were immediately struck by the foul stench wafting from his basement apartment. Although Adam agreed to let the plumbers in, he made them immediately feel uncomfortable hovering over their shoulders the entire time, constantly asking how long it was going to take. As annoying as it was for the plumbers, they did their best to ignore Adam and finally snake the right drain. What came out first looked like black sludge. Then the plumbers pulled up a pinkish, two-inch wide strip of fleshy substance with hair attached. Ooh, that's vile, Adam said 
That's so gross. What is that? But Adam already knew full well what they were pulling up. The plumbers also had a terrifying hunch. After filling several grocery bags with about 10 to 15 pounds of substance, they secretly texted their boss a photo and asked for advice. And then the reply came, pack up your tools, don't be obvious. Once safely outside, the plumbers put in a 911 call. Communications. Hi there, how are you? Good, you? Good, thanks. Um, just a, I'm a plumber and I'm on site for uh, a job. We got, uh, we're, we're snaking a drain and we were, uh, we've been pulling back, uh, we probably pulled back about 10 pounds, 15 pounds of like, it looks like flesh type of stuff, meat. And we started to snake, and we've been working at it for like three, four hours now, right? Oh, okay. And we, we can't get it clear, but we keep pulling back chunks of, you know, whatever the hell it is. When a police officer arrived on the scene, the plumber showed him what they collected. He'd never seen anything like it before in his life, but it was enough to justify bringing four officers to Adam's door to ask him what he'd been flushing down the toilet. Adam didn't even bother trying to play dumb. His response shocked everyone. He said, Okay, you got me. The gig's up. It's a body. Adam told the officers that if they wanted to recover the rest, to take a look in his freezer. What would later be discovered was what the plumbers had been removing from the drain. Human tissue. Adam was arrested on the spot and a forensic team was called into the scene to investigate. What they uncovered was a harrowing, twisted reality exposing the depths of human depravity. Next to a garbage bag with a dead raccoon inside, police found human limbs. In a separate bag, they found a decapitated head, a tattoo with the word alive still legible behind the ear they'd found the precious remains of Rory. When detectives began questioning Adam back at the police station a day after his arrest, his demeanor was eerily calm, especially considering the reason he was there. Do you see how upset I am? No. You're, you're pretty calm. Under the circumstances, it, uh, uh, I, 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 I'm, I'm a little concerned how calm you are. In the beginning, Adam was mostly uncooperative and seemed to be taunting the detectives. So after four hours, they finally decided they were wasting their time. The detective told Adam it was obvious he didn't care enough to help, to which Adam nodded toward a box of Kleenex on the table and asked if they were often needed. Whatever Adam was feeling at that moment, it clearly wasn't sadness or remorse. For police, the hard part wasn't going to be proving he murdered Rory. They'd found her running shoes in a bag in his apartment, along with traces of her blood leading into his bedroom. Tracking data from Adam's phone also placed him at the Oshawa Harbor around the same time her torso was discovered. The hard part was going to be trying to determine a cause of death. Investigators needed to assemble enough circumstantial evidence to find out exactly what had happened to Rory in that basement. And for that, they needed to wait on the forensic team to finish processing the crime scene. 
But the apartment was so utterly filthy and piled with junk, that entire process took days to complete. In the end, their thorough, painstaking efforts paid off in a way they didn't expect. Remember earlier, when the process police used to identify a John or Jane Doe by using DNA was explained? How samples are taken from family members of known missing persons? Well, certain suspicious items from Adam's basement were analyzed and compared against those samples too. And that's when the police discovered there hadn't been just one victim. There were two, Rory Hache and another teen. At the bottom of the cutlery drawer in Adam's apartment, detectives found a specialty knife. It's called a Wyoming knife, and it's a frightening looking tool. It's got two metal rings you slide your fingers through, as if you were holding onto a pair of brass knuckles. And on the top, it has two curved blades, one pointing up and one pointing down. And that knife has only one purpose, for skinning animals. And the Wyoming knife found in Adam's apartment had human tissue on the blade. After sending it into the lab for analysis, the results determined that the tissue didn't belong to Rory, but to someone else in the database. Another missing teen who disappeared a decade earlier in 2008. 19-year-old Candace Fitzpatrick. Further tests would reveal her blood in Adam's freezer and on his bedroom walls as well. Candace had long brown hair and a similar build to Rory. Also like Rory, she too struggled with drugs. Her lifestyle meant she'd sometimes disappear from her family home for weeks at a time without a word, leaving her at the mercy of the streets. The last time she disappeared, those weeks stretched into years. For a decade, Candace's family searched for clues to her disappearance, and the entire time, Adam had gone undetected and unpunished. On November 8, 2018, Adam Strong was interviewed by police for a second time. She's definitely deceased. Yes. Yes. And... And you uh, clearly have said, yeah, I disposed of her. Yes. Yes. Tried it. But unfortunately, it was foiled by yep. inadequate funding. Yeah. And that's a freaking shame. For me. Yeah, for you. Yeah. 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 You, you sound really selfish when you say that. Sorry. That's sorry. Adam had just learned he was now facing two counts of first-degree murder and seemed rather nonchalant about the whole thing. Detective Paul Mitten, though very courteous to Adam, didn't shy away from letting him know how he was sounding. In total, Paul spent about 11 hours trying to pry loose new information from Adam, chatting about scuba diving and Adam's general quality of life for about an hour and a half before even broaching the reason he was there. He even made sure Adam was eating and took a three-course Wendy's order for him. What are you going to hand cream for? Um, Wendy's triple. Yeah, that's doable. No pickles, iced tea, no ice. They're value spicy chicken wraps. 
and a grilled chicken Caesar salad. Okay. Is that is that outrageous? No, that's doable. Is there any way I can get a cigarette? Despite Adam's rather extravagant food order, especially in light of the seriousness of what he'd been charged with, Paul remained the epitome of professionalism, continuing on with his friendly approach, never once revealing a hint of disgust, even if he'd been feeling it. Because he understood the gravity of the charges Adam was facing and knew that his job demanded nothing but his utmost attention and respect. In case you didn't catch it, when Adam's food order arrived, he showed disappointment when his fries were missing. As irritating as the reaction was, as an experienced homicide detective, Paul knew that breaking bread with someone could be a way in. And it seemed he was right, because Adam started opening up, finally revealing that he'd started dismembering Rory on Christmas Eve, defrosting her body in a bathtub of hot water to make his work easier. Then he tried flushing the smaller pieces of her body down the drain. The same day, his neighbors had brought him Christmas cookies. Paul sat close to listen, and when the grisly confession was over, he put out his hand for Adam to shake, telling him he appreciated him, sticking it out and sharing. Although Adam still hadn't confessed to the murder, what he had disclosed, such as knowing the object that had Candace's DNA on it and where it was kept, could be used to make important inferences about his behaviors and attitudes. Partway through Adam's interrogation, he made a casual mention of Robert Picton, one of Canada's most notorious serial killers. Adam didn't feel like he was worth the kind of money put up for tips on the Robert Picton murders. He did suggest, though, that if he spilled the beans and told the whole truth about what had happened to Rory, that he should get some kind of perks. Not like $100,000 like Picton, but like, like an allowance. I don't know. I don't know. Like internet access. Like a TV. Like I don't have anybody who's going to buy me a TV. I, I don't expect to get out of Jail free car? I don't. I just want to be comfortable in jail, man. Just like Adam, Robert Picton had preyed on vulnerable women. The number of murders Picton eventually confessed to was truly shocking. 49. But due to a lack of evidence, he was only ever convicted of six counts of second-degree murder. In order to stop Robert's decade-long murder spree, Authorities offered $100,000 for information on the killer. That's what Adam was referring to when he downgraded his wish list to an allowance and a TV. Adam might have thought he was making a savvy deal. Instead, his comments to the detective helped build a psychological profile of a possible serial killer. A profile that could now be used against him in court. On top of comparing himself to one of the country's most prolific murderers, Adam also freely admitted to sharing all the characteristics of a serial killer. And just like many budding serial killers, as a child, Adam had first practiced his butchering technique on small animals. In general, Adam showed a disturbing lack of empathy towards his victims, offering condolences to Rory's family while at the same time, 
lamenting the procrastination that had led him to being captured. I don't know how appropriate this is, but I'd like you to pass on to her mother and her father my condolences. Observing Adam's bizarre attitude, Paul grew increasingly concerned. There might be more than two victims and confronted Adam with his suspicions point blank. Adam's response? We'll have Adder. Find him. Ultimately, no evidence was ever found to corroborate there might be more victims, and when brought before the court, Adam pled not guilty to killing both Rory and Candace. But as news of Adam's story spread in the media, women who'd been on dates with Adam in the past began coming forward with their own stories. Eventually, no fewer than five women would testify about being victims of Adam's sexual violence, including the girlfriend who'd cover up her bruises with a turtleneck. They couldn't help but wonder how close they'd come to being one of his murder victims. Family members who attended Adam Strong's trial in the spring of 2021 were subjected to horrifying reconstructions of the details surrounding the two teens' deaths. Speaking to the media, Rory's mother concluded, Adam must have been born without a soul. Finally, in March of 2021, over three years since the ordeal first began for Rory's family, and well over a decade for Candace's, justice was finally served, at least partially. Adam Strong was convicted of first-degree murder for Rory Hache and manslaughter for the death of Candace Fitzpatrick. Following the verdict, Rory's godmother, Cresha Meldike, spoke to the press. It comes with some sadness, too, because there's more than one girl, and we're not one without the other. They're victims. Again, I'm just tremendously sad for the Fitzpatricks today. I, it's justice, and I understand that he's not going to get out. He's going to jail. And that's the most important, is that this predator leaves our community, and this never happens again. Although they were disappointed, there hadn't been enough evidence to prove Candace was the victim of premeditated murder. They were also immensely relieved that the charges had mostly stuck. In his ruling, the judge stated that the 10-year gap made Candace's case more difficult. But in the end, there was no reasonable doubt as to Adam's guilt. To be blunt, he said, the chances that Mr. Strong would have twice found himself in need of a chest freezer to store the dismembered body parts of young women who'd met their deaths innocently is so infinitesimally small that it suggests the opposite conclusion. Adam made it clear that his only real regret was getting caught. He maintained he'd been foiled by faulty plumbing and that flushing human remains was in theory a good way to get rid of a body. It was a comment that made the judge suspicious. Adam had most likely employed the same method when he disposed of Candace after her murder. Right before Adam's sentencing hearing, Rory's family faced another tragedy. Rory's mother tested positive for COVID, which meant she couldn't attend the hearing. The 
only chance for family members to express their thoughts on record before the court. Instead, a prosecutor would have to read her words into the record. In her statement, Rory's mom lamented never being able to see her daughter fall in love, graduate school, be married, or have children. Hers was one of the 13 voices that described the ways Adam had poisoned their lives. Candace's mother said, I will never know the joy of watching her grow. You robbed the world of a beautiful soul. I hope and pray that one day you grow a conscience. When the judge told Adam he'd spend the rest of his life in prison, cheers broke out in the courtroom. With the judge imposing the maximum sentence of 25 years without parole for murder and an unusually long term of 18 years for manslaughter that Adam would serve concurrently. The sentence I impose will likely ensure he never gets out of prison, the judge said. I have no doubt the parole board will be struck by the brutal and predatory nature of Mr. Strong's crimes. While the sentence provided a measure of comfort to the victims of the families, so did the judge's promise to Adam. For now, your moment before us is done. You will neither be famous nor infamous. You will simply be gone. But that wasn't the end. At least, not quite. After being sentenced, there'd been some dark speculation Adam wouldn't make it through his full 25-year sentence alive, with sex offenders at the bottom of the prison pecking order. Maybe Adam was worried for his life, or maybe he was just trying to stay in the spotlight a little longer. Whatever the reason, in 2021, he told one of the prison staff he was ready to reveal where he'd hidden Candace's body. Adam may have hoped the information would buy him some extra prison privileges, but police refused him any extra rewards. Astonishingly, Adam still decided to lead investigators to where he buried her. Although it was one of the most exhaustive investigations in our service's history, the body of Candace Fitzpatrick was never recovered. In July 2021, our homicide unit received information that Mr. Strong while incarcerated, had disclosed information pertaining to the location of Candace Fitzpatrick's remain. Over the weeks that followed, a team of investigators conducted a series of interviews with him. Investigators subsequently obtained judicial authorization to take custody of Adam Strong, and on November 4th, we conducted an operation which led us to a small clearing by the tree line behind Secreto Drive in Oshawa. As indicated through previous media releases, the scene investigation started on November 4th, and human remains buried underground were first located on Monday, November 8th. Through the meticulous work of forensic specialists, the exploration and recovery was completed on November 13th. Under the authority of the Office of the Chief Coroner, the partial remains recovered were sent to the Ontario Forensic Pathology Service for analysis and subsequently identified through DNA by the Center of Forensic Sciences. I can confirm today that the remains found last November are those of Candace Fitzpatrick. This discovery and the details obtained through our interviews will not change the outcome of these tragic events or the trauma endured by the victim's family and friends. Our goal in this recovery was to be able to provide some closure to Candace's family and all that were affected by this crime.
Recovering Candace's remains wasn't a solution to the family's grief, but it did finally answer a major question mark that had been hanging over them. They could now at least properly lay their daughter to rest. It was also now finally time to remember Candace and Rory in a gentler way. Looking at old photos, remembering them as the children they'd been, the futures they could have had, instead of returning again and again to their final last days. As Candace's father said after the trial, 13 years of hell have stopped, and now I can move on and honor my daughter the way I want to. Follow the Minds of Madness on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. To support the show and get access to ad-free episodes, extra content, and Patreon-exclusive episodes, go to patreon.com slash madnesspod. To find us on Instagram and Facebook, search The Minds of Madness, and on Twitter using the handle at madnesspod. And also, by checking out our sponsors and using our promo codes, you're also helping support the show. We've got all the links in our episode notes. So until next week, thanks for listening. <laughs>